Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. If you have your, your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, it's also in an insert in your service sheets. It's on, also on page 918 of the church Bibles, if you, if you picked up one of those. Uh, Ephesians 3, uh, I think, again, I, I keep almost apologizing for this. We're going through large chunks of Ephesians quite quickly, and I think um, you know, whenever I just read a, a sentence of Paul, there's, there's just so much there. Like, I, I, could, I couldn't. Wiser men than I have, have preached for, for years on Ephesians, going kind of almost verse by verse. Um, so I feel kind of silly taking large chunks. And there, there's just so much here. I actually, my solution this week was just to come up with a shorter sermon. So you're welcome. I don't think I'll have any complaints, will we? Uh, Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 1. Uh, and this is God's word. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forevermore. What's the most important organization in your life? I think it's an interesting question. I, I think it'd be interesting if we went around the room and it, to, to hear the answers. We won't, of course, for, for the sake of time. But I, I wonder what, what you might say in answer to that. I wonder if we, we went on, on the street this evening and, and asked a bunch of people what, what they might say. I think some people might say something like, like the government or, or a political party. You know, these organizations, these, these groups that, that have a real uh, impact on our, on our lives. A lot of people are, are unhappy with the government at the moment, aren't they? They possibly uh, 
Uh, some would, would possibly say maybe some club or organization that they're a part of. You know, the place where they have friendships. The place where they, they have community. Some people might say, uh, even say something like, like Westfield. You know, the shopping center. The place where they can, they can spend their money, where they can buy the things that they enjoy. Some of you might say your, your school or your university. Maybe some of you, uh, uh, the most important organization for you is, is the gym where, where you can go and work out. It's definitely not for me, but good for you. But Paul says that for Christians, the, the place that's, that's most important in their lives, the, the, the organization that, that they keep being drawn into more and more, has to be the Church of Christ. For some of you here tonight, that, that feels really obvious, but maybe for others of you here, uh, that, that seems less obvious. You might think that, that church is, is a good thing to do or a, or a nice tradition when there aren't uh, other things sort of in the way. But Paul here in Ephesians tells us that actually the church is so central to the, to the plan of God for our salvation that we cannot have Christ without having his church. I realize that's a, a, a bit of a bold statement and it, it needs quite a bit of nuancing. Some of you might, might hear me say that and think that I'm, I'm talking like a Roman Catholic, that the church is a, the place where, where we go to do certain ceremonies to, to, to make ourselves right with God. But that's, that's not what I mean. That's actually not what Paul's talking about either. You know, others of you might resist uh, the idea that we, we really need the church because our faith is, is so personal. It's just me and Jesus. I can sometimes go to church. But it really is just one of those extra things to encourage me in my faith. But Paul says, actually, if, if you're going to follow Christ, you, you have to be part of his church. If you're going to have Jesus, then, then you have to have his church. And, and to show us this, he, he continuously, actually, he, he points us to several times here uh, to heaven, doesn't he? He calls us to look to the heavenly places. He wants us to have our, our heads in the clouds, as it were. Because what we see when we, we look to heaven is that is that actually the, the church of Christ is a glorious thing. And the, the church is more than just the people in this room tonight. The church is more than, than the buildings that we, we see around us in this country. But the, the church is actually the saints, the people who find themselves in Christ Jesus, who, who, who have put their faith in him throughout all of history. It's something that, that transcends time and space. It's a wonderful mystery, Paul calls it. Our physical gathering here tonight is, is, is really a, a dim picture, a, a dim reflection of the true reality of, of the full church of Christ. What Paul invites us into tonight is, is to actually see a picture, to, to, to get a glimpse of, of the deeper mysteries, the deeper truths of what happens when we, when we gather as God's people. Paul calls it a mystery that's being revealed. And there's four things for us to, to see about about this mystery, about the church of Christ this evening. First of all, the church is, is gathered by God himself. Secondly, the church reveals the wisdom of God. Third, the church reveals the love of Christ. And fourth, the church reveals the glory of God. So first, let's see that, that the church is gathered by, by God himself. If you think back to, to last week, then, then you'll remember we, we kind of talked a bit about uh, how, how Paul was was called to the Gentiles. That's, that's you and I, anyone who's, who's not a Jew. Paul refers to the Gentiles several times here, doesn't he? And, and that's, just a, that's just shorthand for anyone who, who, wasn't, who wasn't Jewish, who, who wasn't part of uh, kind of the, the historic people of God. That, that he said, though, that Gentiles like you and I were, were separated from God. 
And we weren't just separated from God, we were separated from God's people. He used the picture of the, the dividing wall, what he called the dividing wall of hostility in the temple in Jerusalem. And it was a wall that didn't only divide us from God, but it, it kept us from God's people. You know, you and I, we were the outsiders. But Paul this week actually reinforces what he called uh, the, a mystery, that, that in Christ Jesus we're now insiders. He calls us one body. We're, we're part of the people of God. Look at how he says in verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now to us today, that, that may seem quite, quite obvious and not all that mysterious. Yeah, this has been the, the settled sort of position, the closely held truth of the church uh, for centuries now. But it wasn't always that way. And when Paul's writing to this first century church, this church in, in Ephesus, this very uh, secular city that would have had both, both Jews and Gentiles together, he's, he's, he's writing this to them be, so that they understand what's, what's actually going on. That Christ has broken down these, these barriers. That God is gathering a, a people from himself. And, and there, he, he's, he's breaking down barriers to do that. That God in Christ is gathering for himself his church. And that's a fact that we, we can't take for granted, even in, in our own day and time. You know, for us, we might go, oh, yeah, the church, is, the church is everywhere. It's all over the world. Yeah, it wasn't that way, though. And so we need to actually appreciate the fact that what Christ did was, was he made it so that, that you and I have, have access to God in a way that, that we didn't previously. Now, first notice how, how God's doing that. Paul said that God made this mystery known to him, to, to Paul, and he called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. This was, a, a this was the central calling of Paul's life. When he's, and when he's writing this, this letter to the, the Ephesians, he's actually literally in prison. Uh, he's, he's imprisoned by the Romans. He's under uh, the, the imprisonment of Emperor Nero, uh, who would become known later for, for persecuting the early church. But Paul, though, doesn't doesn't seem all that concerned about his earthly imprisonment, does he? He says he's actually a prisoner to Christ. And that his, this, this calling he's received to, to reveal this incredible mystery uh, is, is his central, is this thing that actually defines him. And most people, if they're in prison, they think, I'm, I'm, you know, they, they identify as a prisoner, right? Uh, you can't escape it. You're, you're a criminal of some form. Paul says, actually, I'm, I'm not a criminal. And I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm Christ's prisoner. And he has me right where he wants me. What's, what's remarkable about this is, in fact, that God's desire to spread this gospel, the, his desire to, to spread the good news that, that this dividing wall has been broken down, can't even be stopped by the chains of the, the Roman prison that Paul finds himself in. Let's just consider that for a moment. You know, how bent out of shape do we get when things don't go our way? I was going to tell you, please don't ask my wife this evening how, how bent out of shape I get when things don't go my way and how frustrated I get. But thankfully, she's at home with an unwell child, so you can't ask her, uh, which works out well for me. But I get, I get incredibly frustrated. We all do, don't we? You know, if, 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 uh, if, if one of us found ourselves in, in prison, uh, unable to do the things we, we felt called to do and, and unjustly in prison, We'd be quite angry, I think, wouldn't we? Paul, though, has this, this incredible, important calling from God to, 
to see his, his church grow and, and, and gathered from, from all these people from, from all over the world who were once separated from God. People, yet, yet, yet he finds himself sitting in prison. But he just keeps going, doesn't he? He says, you're going to lock me up. I'll just, I'll just write letters. And we still have those letters today, thankfully. You know, but we can thank God that, that he had Paul put in prison. Because we have the word of God now as a result. See, Paul knows it is ultimately God who builds his church. And that's an incredible thing, isn't it? It's God who builds his church. And when you're, when you're in a small church plant in Hammersmith or, or in Brentford, or when you're a, a tired elder or a tired elder's wife, or when your minister's in the hospital, or maybe when you're working your, your first job and you just feel like your workplace owns you and there's, there's no time left to, to give to good things or to give even to, to the church. Paul says that these, these things that we think stand in the way of us and the growth of the church are absolutely no barriers at all to the God who's calling sinners to himself. Paul's an instrument of God's grace, called by God, but God's the one who does the work. God's the one who's gathering the people to himself. When Paul said last week that the dividing wall of hostility between us and God, the, the wall of hostility keeping us from, from being named among the people of God has been torn down. He wanted us to see that it's not only been torn down, but, but any other barrier that you can imagine is, is also being torn down. That there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. One of the beautiful things about being a, a church in London is, is that we, we, being in an international city allows us to, to see exactly what Paul was talking about. God gathering a people for himself from from every nation on earth. We see it in the richness of the diversity of, of God's people gathered here tonight, don't we? That God's salvation is, is for the world. That the, the identity of God with a, a people in the Old Testament was for, for, for a distinct racial group. But now the, the God who, who created each one of us, who named every family on earth, as, as Paul says, that God is, is setting aside a people for himself from every people on earth. You see, the gospel transcends borders, and it transcends race, and it even transcends the prison barriers. And that's reflected, actually, in, in the church, and what we see in, in the church is, is a reflection of, of the character of God. This is what we, we begin to see in our, our second point this evening, that the church reveals the wisdom of God. Look at uh, verses 7 through 13. Paul, Paul tells us two things about, about himself. And about his calling. First, that he was called by God to be a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. He says in verse 7 that, that, that all of this is, is by the power of God. And, and Paul underscores that he is, is the least qualified person to, to be a, an apostle. That he's the least qualified person to, to this task. If you've uh, been around the church at all, then you, you're probably familiar with Paul. Paul wrote large portions of of the New Testament. And he's often thought of as, as almost a super apostle, if, if such a thing existed. You know, Paul's this, this incredible man uh, of faith that God used. But Paul, though, views himself as, as nothing compared to Christ. 
the message of the gospel that he's proclaiming is, is the central thing. He's, he's, it's, a, it's a humbling thing, he says. He's saying to, to this church that there's nothing in them of any value. That there's no good in them. There's no greatness in them. That the only thing that, that, that's, that, that's in him that, that, that's worth sharing is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying to this, this church that there's, there's uh, uh, that, that the, the heart of, of his calling is Christ Jesus and Christ crucified. That in Christ, there's salvation even for you and I. Second thing he tells us about this calling is that he, what, what he's called to preach. Look back, look back at verses 8 through 10. What's he called to preach? Paul says he's called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now the big question there is what, what are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? I'm, I'm not quite sure, so I'm just not going to say anything about it. Um, you can you can ask uh, you, you can you can ask ask Steve. He's he's studying the Bible these days. Or Richard, Richard, you're doing a theology class, aren't you? Uh, but what's Paul actually telling the the Ephesian church? Uh, he, well, he's telling the church a truth that that we as a church, as Christians in the 21st century, need to embrace. That God spoke his word through the apostles and prophets. These men who were men themselves, these were, these were, these were real men. And they were sinners like, like you and I. That's what Paul's getting at when he says, you know, there, there's nothing, uh, he, he's the least worthy of any apostle. He's saying, I'm, I'm a sinful man. He was a guy who, who had persecuted the church. But he says that, that when God captured his heart and, and, and God through the Holy Spirit revealed his truth to him and to these other apostles and prophets that that truth not only humbled him but but called him to reveal these truths to us he says God revealed these things to them so that they could give them to a particular group of people right that's the church of Christ Jesus Paul's saying to us that that the church may well look like like him that the church might look like uh, a dysfunctional, broken, sinful group of people like Paul. That the church at times might look like a, a group uh, repressed by the authorities of this world like Paul. It may look beaten and broken. But he says that actually Christ, despite all that, loves his church. And he loves, him, loves his church enough to, to reveal and entrust the deep truths of salvation to it. In other words, if you, if you want to understand and grow in the deep truths of God's grace, if you want to understand his wisdom, then you have to be in his church. Paul's saying your quiet time, your, your personal time in God's word isn't, isn't sufficient. Paul's saying that, that uh, your, your online Bible study isn't sufficient. Paul's saying that sitting at home and, and, and watching uh, church online really isn't isn't enough the Christian faith is not a faith where where you can be a hermit and set apart the Christian faith is actually a calling to be among God's people because there's something mysteriously being worked out when we work our salvation out together in the church and yeah that gets messy doesn't it 
And whenever you put a bunch of Christian, a bunch of sinners together, it's going to get messy. Sometimes it gets downright ugly. And that's kind of the point, actually. When we work through these struggles together, when we learn together how to, to rightly confront and deal with sin and, and conflict, when we search the Word of God together like we're doing here tonight, and we keep coming back to this Word together that, that God gave to His apostles and prophets to give to His church, the Word of God points us again and again to the fact that our salvation is firm only in Christ alone and not in any of our own efforts, not in any of our works. This is why we don't lose heart even when we suffer or we see another, uh, uh, see another like Paul suffer because in Christ we have bold access to the Father. The church reveals the wisdom of God. The third thing we see this evening is that, that the church reveals the love of Christ. Paul breaks out again in, in a prayer for the church. He, he prays some, of, some, some rather profound things, doesn't he? He prays that the Holy Spirit will, will strengthen our inner being so that, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Actually, we, that, it, that's become a bit of what we call Christianese, isn't it? You, know, uh, you need Jesus in your heart. We'll hear people talk about that. This is, this is actually the only place in all of Scripture where, where it talks about Christ being in our hearts. But we hear that language in other places, don't we? That, that Christ dwelling amongst us, the Holy Spirit uh, within us. And it's an incredible fact of our salvation that we have Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus dwells in each of us. We can't escape Him. And we can't lose Him. This is, in fact, the the the... This is, uh, in fact, the, the God that we should actually all want to be with, isn't it? You know, God who's drawn near to us. That's what Paul says he's done. He's drawn near to us so that we can know him through his word, through the words of the apostles and the prophets. And this is a wonderful truth. And the reason that Christ is drawn near to us is, is seen in, in actually verses 17 through 19. And this is actually the, the big bit look back at verse 17 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God see Paul Paul says here that, that the love of God for us the, the love of Christ is a, is a 4D love we, we usually think of these of, of three dimensions, don't we? Height, depth, width. But Paul adds into it breadth, doesn't he? That it's, it's a love that, that's beyond our comprehension. It's a love that, that you cannot move beyond. That there's nothing you can do if you're in Christ to separate yourself from the incredible love of God. The heart of Christ for us is one of incredible love that's only increased by what he suffered for us. Thomas Goodwin, uh, an old Puritan minister, uh, compared the love of Christ to the love of a mother. And one of the things he said was that uh, the, a mother loves her child not just because it's her child, but she loves her child, her, her, her love for her child increases because of the things she suffers for it. You know, the pains of childbirth, the sleepless nights, the stubborn toddler, the know-it-all teenagers. 
And if you don't have children, then think back to what you caused your, your parents to suffer and, and recognize in their love for you a small shadow of the love of Christ for you. And think of the things that, that Christ suffered for you. To, to leave behind the, the glories of heaven, to step into our world, to take on our flesh, to, to feel the temptations we've all experienced, to carry, the, to carry our sins, you know, a, a blameless man carrying the things that you've done and suffering the, the death of a cross. We, we see the love of Christ and the things he suffered for us. And Paul says it's such, a, it's such a deep love, it's such a big love, that there's no way for us to fully comprehend it. But Paul says and prays that God would, would use sort of the, the, the dim reflections of, of Christ's love for us that we, we experience in his church, that we sometimes experience in, in human love and relationships, but a love that the, the, the things that we hear in his word, that, that these reflections would help us to see the incredible height, breadth, width, and depth of the love of Christ for us. And he says that the church is actually the, the place where God reveals his love for sinners. The church is God's instrument for revealing his love. Fourth and last this evening, the, the church reveals the glory of God, doesn't it? Paul concludes his prayer with this, this invocation, which is a, a shout of praise and a calling for God to bless his church. And, and in closing, I want to just point us back to, to Paul's simple conclusion. Just listen to it again. Now to him who's able to do more, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He says that, that God can do more than we, we could ever possibly imagine or fathom, couldn't he? But not only does he say that, that God can do more than we could, we could ever imagine or, or fathom, but he's saying that that power is at work in us. That God can do more than, than in us, in you and I, than we could possibly think. And what he's saying in that is not, is not this, you know, you're, you're going to have some magic superpowers you know, that, that you've got to go out and use for, for good, what, what he's actually saying is, is, is in you, God is, is doing more in your heart. That, that he's, he's making you more righteous than you ever thought you could be. That he's making you more beautiful in the eyes of God than you ever thought you could be. That he's, he's doing more than you could possibly comprehend, and often more than you, you recognize or realize. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, though, to, to him be glory in, in you personally as you walk with Jesus. Rather, he says to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. See, the church is, is God's chosen instrument and organization for his glory. And he won't be fully glorified in any other organization. Even in the best organizations we can come up with, he won't be fully glorified in them. He won't be fully glorified in our parachurch ministries, though they often do great work. He won't be fully glorified in our government so we can relax when we come together. We don't have to talk about politics because it's, it's, just, it's just not all going to work out the way that we hope it will. He won't be fully glorified in your workplace, although the, the work you do is, is important. 
and can often glorify God. But that's another sermon, isn't it? He's not going to be fully glorified in, in any other organization, any other place we go. Now, what Paul wants us to see is that the church of Christ is where it's all at. That this, this little gathering here this evening that, that we've come to, you, we, we often think it's, it's quite a mundane thing, isn't it? That we step into when we go to church. It often becomes, uh, it, it sometimes starts to feel a bit stale after a while, doesn't it? It often becomes, starts to feel quite boring when a sermon that Rob promised would be short gets close to 30 minutes. But the, the truth that Paul wants us to see is that the, where the, the church of Christ is where it's at. If you're going to know and experience the wisdom, love, and glory of God, then Paul says you have to be gathered by him into his people, the church. How can God take a, a group of sinners like us who, who don't always get on, who often split over, over silly things? How can he take an organization that, that often has a, just as many issues as, as any other club or, or charities? How can he take this, this group and be glorified in us? What's, what's so different about the church that, that makes it stand out from any other organization? Well, the, the truth is, it's just Christ Jesus. That's the only difference. It's Christ Jesus. And, and it's, it's the object of our affections. And it's the, the person who, who has set his affections upon us. Is Christ sufficient to make his church righteous and beautiful and glorious? Paul says he is. And he invites us by the, the deep grace of Christ to enter into the, the community of his people where he shapes us for his glory.